I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA, <laughs> and we're going to be talking about truth today and other things that you'll enjoy, I think, that you won't see anywhere else. So here we go, off to the races. First, we start with Tom Fishburne, Moments of Truth. Something tells me these reviews may not be real. That's the zero moment of truth, okay? Something tells me the best thing since the discovery of penicillin. Okay, then the first moment of truth, which is making your decision at the point of purchase. So many choices and everything looks the same. Amen to that. Second is when you get it home and you try to use it. Uh, second moment of truth. Why is our packaging so hard to open? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, if I had a nickel for every package, I couldn't open and I end up just stabbing it to death with my Leatherman tool. You know, <laughs> Compare that with glue, you know, glue. Glue is always spilling all over the place. Glue is almost impossible to stop from being open. You just you try to seal it up, you come back a couple of years later, and it's no good. <laughs> but the stuff you want to eat, no, you can't get at that. No, it's not going to work. Okay, share this. Pro then the third moment of truth is asking you all about it and making you trying to make you loyal and get another purchase. Share this product with your friends. Rate your shopping experience. Leave a review. Don't forget to share. Take a survey. Yeah, right. Okay, exactly. Uh, which brings me to another point. I'm going to talk about a survey mailer that I saw uh, over the weekend. Um, in 2005, A.G. Laffey, uh, CEO of the world's largest advertiser, Procter & Gamble, introduced the idea of moments of truth to the marketing world. As he wrote in the PG Annual Report, the best brands consistently win two moments of truth, okay, which are probably all that matter. The first moment occurs at the store shelf when a consumer decides whether to buy one brand or another, or generic. The second occurs at home when she uses the brand and is delighted or not, okay, or more likely is completely annoyed or not, you know, that's how you switch brands, right? I'm ready to switch my all my insurance to another company who's been really a pain in the neck the last few years. Not that it'll be any better anywhere else, right? But I'll tell you, Food Club, my house brand at the Piggly Wiggly, they have a 800 number and they will talk to you. And sometimes they'll even send you more coupons for more stuff that isn't quite right. <laughs> okay, and they followed up with a third moment of truth. Uh, Jim Lasinski coiled the idea, coined the idea of the zero moment of truth when consumers realize they need something. I like the way it's put, when they realize they need something, right? We don't know what we need till we need it right and then we need it and uh you can actually i've actually downloaded that article along with another one that tom mentions and i'll put them in the show notes at wdma.org go over there and subscribe i haven't gotten enough new subscribers lately you people are sitting on your hands we need some engagement <laughs> and we're gonna have a, a meetup one of these days i'm gonna put one on the calendar and you'll actually get maybe one or two at most three, like right before, if you if you if you register, I think I'll send a third one. But anyway, uh, so why does the consumer experience? Why does the customer experience still fall so flat, despite having more tools and tech 
and data, the actual customer experience rarely lives up to the potential. And so then Tom has a video, and I've never seen him on video, so I decided that I would go get a video of him uh, talking to a conference somewhere. And so let's go over to that and let's play that for a bit, and I'll just start in a good spot. And I'm going to start with just a quick story. This happened to me not too long ago. I walked into the kitchen, our dishwasher, uh, right next to the dishwasher, the floor was covered with soapy bubbles. And as I walked up to the dishwasher, the little display light was flashing the letters FU at me. <laughs> and <laughs> I go it took Google for me to realize that stood for failed unit. <laughs> How the manufacturer didn't see that coming, I think is a sign. <laughs> of some of the myopia that can happen a little bit when you work on a, on a brand a little too closely. Um, but it became somewhat emblematic as I found myself on a customer journey. And we all are marketers, but we're all also customers and consumers, and we're on these customer journeys. And I found myself, I, it looks like we need a new dishwasher. Searching leads to clickbait. Sites not optimized for mobile. Overwhelmed by choice. Sifting through fake reviews. Unclear tech specs. Looking for a number to call waiting on hold, endless retargeting ads. We may have to get used to washing these by hand. Maybe wonder why, why is, it, does it, is it this way? There's so many forms of, of this. You know, earlier on, we saw the chaos drawing of what can happen with customer experience when it breaks down. Why does that happen? Well, one of the reasons it happens, oh, he's got another sleeping, story. Phone starts going oh, off. Oh, this is a good one. Keeps buzzing, finally wakes him up. Having trouble sleeping? $5 off nighttime sleep aid liquid caps. Okay. That's too true. We get that, that makes us too crazy. <laughs> we can't think about that one. Okay. So, anyway, uh, back to the story. Uh, but I've never seen Tom on stage, so there we go. Um, and I would love to hear him sometime. The customer journey mapping has trained us to think of consumers primarily as buyers on a linear path to purchase. Right. I mean, we think customers know what they want um, rather than as a complex as complex human individuals with ever changing needs who don't think about our brands nearly as much as we think they do or at all. Right. Right. I need something to put on my hamburger. Oh, OK. I got an onion. I got a tomato and I got a pickle. But if I didn't have a pickle, what could I put instead? Maybe a piece of lettuce. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about lettuce, but that's something you put on on hamburgers, okay? It's easy for marketers to develop funnel vision, losing sight of the actual consumer because they're focused on the classic linear marketing stages of awareness, trial, repeat, loyalty, right? I mean, sometimes there's no other alternative, and what can you do? You have to use that. You have to use that product over and over. People don't want to buy a quarter-inch drill. They want to buy a quarter-inch hole. And marketing myopia, I will also include in the show notes so you can hear about Tom Fishburne. But these are, here's his March 2018 dishwasher story, which I really like. Uh, and, you know, we have a dishwasher. I fixed the dishwasher on the 4th of July from the same problem. I've learned that you can fix a dishwasher easier than you can buy a dishwasher, believe it or not. Um, it's usually pull off a hose and suck it out with a vacuum cleaner. Uh, but that's because, but nowadays, you know, you can't try the dishwasher before you put it in or the wash machine. We had a Maytag. My wife liked it okay, but it was leaking, and I didn't know back then 
that I could probably have fixed one hose and gotten it to work. So we got a new dish, a new wash machine. Now it has all kinds of computer things. And once in a while, it'll get wacky. And there's actually a sequence where you wave a chicken around your head and stomp up and down and chant certain words. And it'll reset the computer. Um, but why does it need a computer? You know, the old one didn't have a computer and it worked much better. Uh, and it goes so slow that you can't even, you can't even get it to run. Okay. We bought a stove from the same manufacturer, the, you know, an oven and stove, and the whole thing started f flying off glass chips. I ended up getting to the VP of marketing at the company, which is the biggest appliance manufacturer in the country, probably, and said, you know, I have this all documented. Would you like to see it on YouTube or not? <laughs> and they sent me a new stove. Anyway, I'm looking for, just looking for the bathroom. Okay, but this is the best one here. No, that's, that's, they can't even find me in the customer journey. This is the best one. I don't even see our brand of pickle relish anywhere. It's inconceivable. This is a brand loyalist. She's thinking about my husband, my kids, mom and dad, career, friends, fee, fee, home, sunsets, travel, and me. And no pickle relish in the mind at all. Right. And that's the real truth of it. Right. That's the real truth. So anyway, I saw this nice article about the Merrick group, keeping it in the family. And that is fuzzy Merrick right there. And Merrick has a has a fulfillment plant in Heartland, I think, or they, they used to. And uh, so fuzzy and Tammy took over their dad's print and fulfillment business back in the 70s. And uh, so they must be about my age. Um and a real nice article about the Waukesha-based, Waukesha, Wisconsin. You won't even know how to pronounce that if you don't watch it on this show. Merrick Group, he said, my father started the company in the early 70s. It was primarily a very small couple-person letter shop in Milwaukee. He started it and grew it over time, but it was primarily in the commercial print and fulfillment space. Okay, fast forward. It's now a marketing execution company specializing in print. Production, mail, incentives, kidding, fulfillment, and sales enablement. So they're the kind of company that if you want to do something, especially if you have a field sales, it looks like you get that you get that done, right? And besides Waukesha, they have facilities in Louisville, Kentucky, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and there's Tammy. She's the president, and Fuzzy's the CEO. They were just getting out of college. Um, oh, I guess that was years after his dad had been running it for a long time. So his dad started in the 70s. I was selling printing in the 70s, late 70s. So we learned as much as we could and quick and as quickly as we could and knew it wasn't enough. It was certainly trial by fire. They decided to perpetuate. So they took over in 20, in 2003. And so they were let's say 22 at the time, and so now they're in their 50s, I would say, because that's about 20 years ago, right? Maybe 40s. Yeah, that makes more sense. Okay, and uh, they knew they needed to build from the ground up. They, they, in, they really were pioneers in the print-to-web systems, which have really taken over, you know, short runs that you don't have to really touch and that the, the printing is all automated, can't see myself there. I can't see the, the chat. We'll re reboot. 
um, for as mature as this technology is, it certainly is having challenges. Okay, so anyway, here's their corporate headquarters. I'm not exactly sure where that is. I think it's over by the old quad plant. Um, but they said the Merit Group is zeroed in on being enterprise-wide marketing execution. I like that. So you call them up when you want to do something, when you do something for your customers or your sales force. Um, they did these acquisitions, and they have a direct mail marketing business. So we want to get in touch with them. So I'll be reaching out to the, the Merrick kids and saying hello from the WDMA. Uh, they did have some challenges with different cultures that weren't exactly meshing, shaping the company's core values, okay? Um, and it remains a family-owned business, and it was in print marketing, so that was, uh, or print impressions, rather. So that was a nice article. Okay, have you stopped mailing out promotions? This real retailer says you should reconsider, okay? Uh, they did a postcard. Here's a picture of the postcard. Festive fall favorites are orange tree imports. And so this is the person. Uh, they did 12,000 of these. They said that many people bring in the coupons on the other side. There's there's three coupons, one for September, October, and November. Um, they said they get impressive sales, but more than that, they remind their customers to come in and visit and see what products are new. Okay, sometimes they, they feature new products. I think these are exclusive products to their store, okay? I have a friend who has a tea business and they should be doing a similar sort of thing. So uh, uh, 12,000 postcards, they've been building this list since the ninth, since 50 years ago. When we opened almost 50 years ago, uh, we started cultivating this list, okay? And we have a customer rewards program which puts them both on our email and print media lists. Excellent idea if you've got a retail store. You know, give them a little incentive to give them, give you, you know, a little free tea or a little free candy. Candy is, a, is a especially good at the counter <laughs> if you haven't signed up. But don't forget the people who have signed up. Give them a piece of candy, too, if they, if they want one. Okay, do we get many back? Not in comparison to the number we send, but the total dollar is impressive. Many people don't cut coupons. However, having this colorful card arrive in the mailbox is a reminder that might be time to stop in and see what's new. They uh, created the largest card allowed at the postcard rate. Okay, and here's a point that I forgot they made, and this is one of the more interesting points that I've never seen in an article, but this is because it's a business owner. If you ever decide to sell your business, your store's mailing list is considered an asset Okay, you got that? An asset. So it will affect your valuation just having a mailing list. Something most people don't consider in establishing the value of the business. Because it's an indication of the goodwill you've built up over the years. And banks understand this because they trade based on the number of checking accounts that a bank has. Okay, so a wonderful little article. Really like it. And I'll be reaching out to Carol and uh, wishing her a good day. Now I want to talk about another mailing insert that we got over the weekend. And this one is uh, engraved, actually hand or, or engraved, and it's linen, not paper. It, it definitely has an impression, leaves an impression and gets the envelope open. 
My wife thought it was fake, but I was convinced that it wasn't, and so we opened the envelope to find out what it was. And here's what the extra insert was. See, it has a person's picture on it, always good, and wonderful texture. And it's something that as the dollar gets less and less valuable because of inflation, what kind of a mailing, what kind of an insert can you put in, in your mailing piece that will get it opened for sure? This one did right now. I'm guessing that most of them go right in the trash, but you know, you say, well, it's only a dollar, right? And so it was a very thin paper envelope with a window and the dollar peeked out in the window. Okay. You could clearly see it and it didn't seem like it was addressed in the window. It was actually addressed over to the to the uh, right of it a little bit, and which was fascinating to me, right? The address was like like inkjet on the envelope instead of putting it in the window, and so it would get delivered, and you could see you could see the uh, the dollar bill inside it. It was for some kind of state of Wisconsin or some kind of association related to Wisconsin that wanted to ask a bunch of survey questions. If they would have been clearer about what they were up to, I think we would have participated in the survey. But as it is, my wife said, can I still keep the dollar? <laughs> he said, yes. But it's something to consider. You know, something to consider that has more value to get the envelope opened than the cost, which is probably the case with a dollar bill. Something to think about. Have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart.